Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Today's teaching text is John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, I was just, this isn't in my manuscript, so this is always risky when I just start talking, but um, I was just standing during worship today and I was just looking around and many of you I know, many of you I don't, but I was just thinking like what an incredible miracle that we're here today. Like when I think about the stories that are represented in this room, I'm like it does not make any sense outside of Jesus like that many of us would even be alive, let alone loving one another and loving Jesus. Like that is such a good gift to be with one another and to recognize that today. <sighs> I like us. Okay. So today, like, like Chris said, we are in the in-between. It's not yet Advent, um, but this week we are in a place that many of us are actually really, really familiar with. After the last few years, together with all of humanity and this church specifically, we have gotten very familiar with the now and the not yet kind of place. I've grown to appreciate the in-between, even if I often sort of hate it while I'm in it. Right now, on this day, anyway, I feel like it's a real gift to be able to be present with one another and the Spirit of God in this liminal place that we get to pause and listen and discern in. So that's what we're actually going to do first thing this morning. If you feel comfortable doing so, I want to invite you to plant your feet on the ground right now. Unclench your jaw, relax your shoulders if you're holding in some stress or anxiety this morning. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to just leave some quiet space for us to listen to whether the Spirit might be speaking something to us today. If that feels intimidating or overwhelming or open-ended for you, that is okay too. We are in different places in our walks with Jesus. Maybe you just need to say thank you to God for some things in the midst of the quiet that we're going to experience. That's totally okay. This is not a spiritual Olympics right now. It's a minute or two to meet with God in the quiet before you have to listen to my voice for a little bit. So I want to open this moment in prayer, and then I'm going to close us again in a couple minutes of silence. I know it can be awkward, and I know that for some of us, we long to hear the Spirit, but we don't have, or we have a hard time making 
time to prioritize practicing listening. So this isn't pressure. There's no secret formula, nothing I'm asking you to do specifically or conjure up like a special um, idea that you'll have to share with your neighbor afterwards. You don't have to give a word to someone sitting by you. In fact, actually, please don't. That's not what this is right now. It's a time to begin this chunk of our service by listening to God and letting him calm us in the midst of all that we are carrying in with us into this community today. So I'm gonna pray. We'll have a moment of quiet to listen, and then I'll close our prayer time. So Holy Spirit, we just ask um, that you would move in this community of people today. Those here, maybe those watching at home, would you give us a peace that is beyond understanding and speak to us if there's anything you want to say, Jesus. God, we love you. We recognize that you're here in this place with us today and we are grateful for your presence and your movement. Continue to speak to us today through your word, through communion, through music, through a friend, through maybe someone we don't know, maybe something we see. Would we just be a people who are just patiently and and peacefully looking out for the ways you want to move and speak to us. We pray this confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're actually going to be in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible um, or you have a Bible app on your phone, would you open that up um, so you can read along today? We just heard from Zen read to us out of John 3 because I think it's really important context for what the reader of John's letter might have had in their mind as they dug into the story that he tells in chapter 4. Later, John writes that his goal in this letter is that people would know that Jesus is who he says he is. He's as good and as powerful and as full of love as the rumors folks had heard that he was. So John 3 tells us what for many of us is a very key verse in knowing scripture. If you grew up in the church following Jesus, like myself, um, it's one of the first verses that our parents and Sunday school teachers made us memorize. For others, it might be the only verse that we memorized. For some of us, maybe we actually haven't heard that until today. I don't know. I was telling someone the other day about a show that I had watched a few months ago, and they had already finished it um, before I had. And as I, started, as I started talking about it, they started like dazing off into the distance. And I'm like, what is happening? And they were like, just like really calmly, like, I would give anything to go back and watch that show for the first time again. 
And I was like, anything, bro, like let's expand our horizons here. But, but when I stop and consider the beauty that John writes of Jesus's words in John 3, 16, 17, 18, I sort of feel that way. Like there is something in me that's like, I wish I was hearing this for the first time again. Because sometimes when I hear that verse, I've heard it so much in my life, and this is my own cynicism showing. You might not be in that place, and that's actually great. Um, But I wish it didn't feel like corny or overused or wrongly weaponized in like a commercial or a billboard. I, I just want it to be new and fresh and speak to my heart. And so that is what I want for our community to savor today, to remember how good and beautiful it is that we get to sit in and follow and be known and be saved by the love of Jesus in this way that we get to be. God loved the world and the people he's created to flourish in the world so much that Jesus would come here to be among the people, to live and die and rise from the dead, forsaking the beauty and perfection of heaven. And unlike some traditions and religion and, and ways of being, in order to have and share in that love that he offers us, all we have to do is believe. That's it. Believe that God's love is as good as he says it is and that Jesus is the way. This gospel, this truth is so good that I don't believe when we truly consider and encounter and believe this love that we could just remain unchanged. When we truly believe and encounter this love, I don't think we can remain unchanged. When you're deeply loved, when you are deeply seen, that changes things. It has to. I want you to think together with me today for a second about being deeply loved. I would like you to just let yourself pause for a moment. Let your mind wander even for a second to remember a time when you knew you were so sure you were deeply loved. Maybe it was something someone said. Maybe something someone did for you. Maybe it was like a moment in a movie where you had a flashback scene to all of these times and you finally stopped long enough to realize, oh, I actually am loved. Take a second and think about that. When we feel loved, it changes things. We can't go on the same way anymore. The way that we see the one extending love to us, the way we see ourselves, the way we see those after this moment of recognition, all of it begins to unravel and change in the best of ways. A few years ago, my, um, my personal life super fell apart. Is the kind of falling apart where you're walking around mostly in a daze and you don't really know how you're going to make it. It sounds dramatic, and I actually am quite dramatic, um, but this actually, I feel like it was validly dramatic. It was, a, it was a valid dramatic situation. And I often wonder, how can I monetize that and turn it into a lifetime movie to make it all pay off, right? Like, that's what I think about when I go to sleep at night. Um... That isn't what you're here to wonder about with me today, though. So I was lucky enough in the early stages of this really 
intense season of grief that I was able to go on a vacation with my kids and still even parts of that particular vacation that summer were really painful for a whole host of reasons. I remember though getting home from that trip. My friend had picked me up and I walked into my door and my whole kitchen had been painted. My bathroom too. My entire mess of a basement that most often looked like something that exploded with toys but unfortunately did not destroy the toys. <laughs> it had been organized. Things had labels even. My bag of sugar that I just let spill out of that rolled top because why did they put sugar in those bags? It was just like leaking out sugar I would like kill the ants and then move on because honestly, and I know this sounds so sad, but I was like so depressed, I didn't even want to do anything about it. That sugar now had a home in a sealed up airtight container. And that may sound like trivial and insignificant to some of us, but I am not lying. Would I say I thank God for this dear community I have every single time I open my cupboards? The paint and the labels and the piece of butcher paper that everyone wrote a welcome home note to me on, I still have that hanging in my room. Those things all remind me that I have a community that has seen the love of Jesus and has said, because we see the love of Jesus, Seth, we see you too. And that really changes things. To be loved and to belong is the best thing I know. And I'm so grateful that I know that in Jesus and the people who are following after him. It is the gospel. And so in John 4, where we're at today, Jesus shows us this in real life. I think sort of the way that some of my friends would show me this in real life. That's where we're going to land for a few minutes. John 4. So break out your Bibles or your phones, probably mostly our phones. I brought a real Bible today. I'm really stepping up my pastoral game now that we have a new lead pastor here. So, we're in John chapter 4, and it says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. I think it's so interesting that, that the writer here says he had to pass through Samaria because most Jews like Jesus, most people who were practicing Jews would not go through Samaria. They would go all the way around it. But he's, here it says he had to pass through Samaria. And I kind of imagine if it was like, you know Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jacob's well is something that a reader of this letter would have a lot of familiarity with. Wells in the Old Testament stories that people would pass on from generation to generation to generation had special significance. Special things, meetings, marriages would take place in this space. It, it was very sacred in a lot of ways. And also, it gave water. 
So verse six, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, noon. Most people would come in the early morning or the later time to get water because it's hot and water, turns out, is heavy. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, you're a Jew, are asking me for water? A woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir? That's what I'm thinking it sounded like. You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. But where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The, woman, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's so annoying if I'm this woman right now. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And this woman says, cut to the chase. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And then Jesus says to her, would you just go call your husband and come back here? And the woman answered him, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And this woman, she says to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's like, this is nuts. Like there is something really special about this person in front of me. And I don't think when Jesus is saying what he's saying, he's like, hey, news is you have really made the rounds. Like, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, you know who I am, and I know who you are. And here I am just with you. Like, I came to you. Like, this woman at this point knows it is not an accident that she's bumping into this guy at the well, right? Man, that is terrifying and beautiful. So in verse 19, she says, I see your prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus says to her, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus is like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Actually, there are some really important things that y'all have been missing. But guess what? This good news, this living water, it's for you anyway. Oh, that's cool. She said, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things like, I'm just hanging around, I'm waiting, it's going to make sense one day. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. So good. Like Jesus in, there's not all that many times where Jesus like really clearly like says like, I am all that you've been waiting for. Like certainly there are times when he says it, but it's not all that many in the grand scheme of what we have written. And this woman who could not be more like of, like in an enemy camp from what Jesus aligned himself in in Jewish faith, like this is the one that he comes to sit by and say, the living water is for you. I see you, I know you, and my love is for you. So good. I want to cut down um, to verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town. And she said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And verse 30 says, they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And down in verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two whole days in this place where he's not even supposed to be. And many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. Like, that's what got us at first. But now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman was changed by the love of Jesus. And what I love in this story is she doesn't just keep it to herself. True love does not just, like, get stuck in our hearts. It's got to come out. It's got to burst forth. It's got to do something. And in this woman's life, that is true. It is so evident to me that being loved, being seen, being brought into a place where you're really truly valued changes things. This woman had been discarded by many. When, when the Bible tells us that she has had multiple husbands and the man that she's now with is not her husband, my best guess based on study isn't like um, that she is sleeping around a lot. My best guess in a culture where women had to have a man is that she's been discarded over and over and over and over again. And now she has no one. And so she's clinging to some kind of income and safety with some other man that might take her in. Right? And so this woman has been discarded. And now she is the one that is telling the story of Jesus to many others in their community. And I wonder in what ways she saw others and herself differently 
because of what Jesus had done in that meeting right there. She suddenly had the boldness to approach folks in the community. Like this was such good news that even though she had come to the well by herself to not be seen by anyone probably, like she went into town to these people who did not care for her and said, you have to hear about this guy. Jesus said she was enough. And so she was. Church, if we have been loved, if we have been transformed, I wonder what might be stopping us from living like it. What might be holding us back from being beside ourselves with joy and bringing this story of love, this beautiful reality of Jesus to others? I'm not saying, hear me out, this isn't like live, laugh, love. I'm not saying like, let's be happy, go lucky, and smile all the time. I'm not saying we don't grieve and reckon with the brokenness of ourselves, those around us in the world we live in. If you hang out with me, you know I spend a lot of time in that place. What I am saying, though, is that we are called to live in the, in the and of it all. This woman in our text today was lonely, and she was on the lookout for a way toward hope. She was desperate, and she couldn't stop herself from telling the world how good it was to be known in the midst of de desperation. Some of us today are tired, and we have been given so much goodness. There is so much evil all over the place, and we've been given the gift of Jesus' presence with us in the midst of navigating all of it. We have been grieved and wronged and worn out over and over again, and we get to be in the community that we are in, seeking Jesus, because like Scripture tells us, he first loved us. He loves us. Some of us haven't been able to take a second to let that set in on us for a while. Some of us have been going, 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 maybe even doing really good things, but we haven't been doing it in light of being deeply loved by Jesus. Living in the and. So what are we doing with our and? What are we doing in the in-between? What are we doing with what we've been given even as we might be walking through wilderness that we're not totally sure about. It is easy to hunker down, to say trite, simple answers to get through the moment. It's easy to crawl under our weighted blankets and turn on the Great British Bake Off and pretend the world is cute and filled with pastries and ignore the sounds of our children in the other room. That could be personal, but it's harder and more filling and more life-giving, I think, to rest, to breathe, and to listen to what God is inviting us toward, and then actually shape our lives around it with action. If we have been loved, we don't have to live in scarcity and fear. We don't have to go to the well when no one else is around. We don't have to live like so many of God's people did, thinking they'll never have enough and missing out on the chance to love the forgotten, the parentless, the immigrants in their midst. We can live in the hard and we can love well too. 
At Imago in this upcoming season, that is the invitation to step toward this thing we call Advent Conspiracy. And the four big, big ideas are spending less, giving more, loving all, and worshiping fully. Spending less. I was driving home from visiting my family in Idaho on Friday, and I was listening to the news, and they were talking about all of the new records that had been set this past Black Friday. And they're expected to continue to be awful and high again tomorrow when Cyber Monday happens. And I was just like asking myself, what does this mean about our country, about our community? And then I started making it a little more personal and I was like, what does this say about me? You guys, I almost bought pants like 15 times on Friday. My tabs on my phone are nuts. And I am not bragging, but I didn't buy any pants. And I'm very proud about that. It is hard. It is hard to live in a country where everything is about getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more. And that would require us to spend more, spend more, spend more, spend more, spend more, right? We are stuck in cycles of spending money we don't have. We are changing our tomorrows for the worst because we are so sucked in to what feels good today, right? Jesus has a lot to say about how money messes up our hearts. It does damage in really unique and terrible ways that we are, we're not made for. And my question is, in light of the reality we live in, and in light of what I think most of us know about it, like, what difference is it making? Like, are we just saying the things, or are we Xing out of all the tabs with new pants? Like, do we really, like, as a parent, I'm like, do I really want my kids to be content with less, or do I want to feel, like, good when they open, like, a really baller Christmas gift that they like for 30 seconds? That's, like, a real question that we have to wrestle with, because... $50 on a Furby. Those are coming back, y'all. I know. Um, is going to make my kid happy for like a second. But that could do nuts things in Western Kenya where our friends are building water wells. That could do that could do wild things in the life of somebody who is living outside right now. I was talking to someone earlier this week who is an, an elderly person here in our city um, in her late 70s, and, um, and she was asking for some resources. And, um, and I was like, yeah, well, we got to change the system. Like, we don't have anything. Like, I can't just give you cash. Um, that's not how things work. And she's like, listen, I'm going to die in a couple of years. I don't really care if you change the system. I haven't had a shower in three weeks. And I was like, ooh, well, we do need to change the system, but also you should get a shower. 
And my son has been with me at work so much over the last few weeks. And I love him. And, and I walked out. I was trying to figure out what to do. And he was listening. I never think he's listening. He's always listening. And he's like, well, what are you going to do, Dad? And I was like, I don't know, buddy. Like, this, there's this thing about how we shouldn't just give money out all the time. He was like, why? And I was like, well, we want to help people be responsible. He's like, Dad, what do you always tell me? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> He's like, if you have something that someone else needs, don't you have enough? And I was like, dang it. Okay, let's go to the ATM. Like, let's make this work. He's like, that's what I thought. Now listen to me talk about Pokemon for 10 minutes on the drive. <laughs> Spending less enables us to be a people who give more. A lot of times we want to jump to the give more, give more, give more, but we actually can't. Like, we can't do that if we don't tackle this first piece, right? And the first piece requires discipline. It requires sacrifice. It requires giving something up. Like, sometimes, honestly, it's easy to give someone five bucks. It is harder to say, I'm actually not going to buy coffee out this week. And that's just like a low-hanging fruit. I'm so bored of that example, but I'm saying it anyway. Like, I'm not going to buy coffee this week so that I can intentionally have five bucks to give someone. Like, that's a different way of thinking about it, right? When I think about give giving more, I am struck with folks who have said, I want to reshape what my life looks like and give more. Like sometimes it's money, sometimes also it's our time and energy and our heart and our emotional well-being. Um, many of you know that our youth often hang out on Thursday nights at Night Strike under the bridge, hanging out with folks from all different walks of life often who have not been as lucky as many of us sitting in this room right now for many, many reasons. And um, Sophia Taylor is one of my favorites. Shout out to Sophia over here. Um, because she has shaped how our youth group enters into this over and over and over again because she has seen the beauty of what it does for, for ourselves but also the community we live in when we give more. And she is pulling in kids. She is pulling in adults. She is leading like stations at Night Strike in ways that like no other teenagers have done before. Like she has said, I am going to shape my life around what it means to give more. And it's such a beautiful thing. And we do this because we believe that Jesus's love is so good that we could not keep it for ourselves, that there is an invitation to love all, right? All of this leads up to loving all. And all of this is a part of worshiping fully. Like we could do a lot of good over and over and over again. But I think what is beautiful and unique about who we are as a community is that it's all wrapped up in Jesus. We do this because we have been loved. We do this because we know we cannot do it alone.
We do this because we know that Jesus has grafted us into his family and into this community that has the ability to change things when we trust in and follow him and actually live in the ways he's designed us to live in. There's this verse, this chunk of verses in Romans chapter 12. And Paul, in writing Romans, he's like, he's like given the whole, the whole gospel. And he's like, in Romans 12, he basically says, so in light of all that we know about Jesus, here's what you do. Live your lives as sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you do that, you will begin to know what God's will actually is. He calls it his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All of this is for that. For me, this is a reminder that salvation comes with confessing and believing and being part of and living in the kingdom that is inviting us to live a worshipful life of following Jesus, living different than the world around us. This worship is hard. This worship is not a poetic song. This worship is not a check mark. This worship is an invitation to turning everything we thought we knew upside down and saying, what does Jesus have for me that might be a different way of living? It's so good. Our worship team, our worship team, after I'm talking about worship, now we're just gonna call worship music again. Okay, um, now our musical worship team is gonna come on up. And we are going to find ourselves once again invited to the table. A table that reminds us week after week after week of how good Jesus' love is, of how deeply beloved we are. And that because of that, we have an invitation to live differently. I want to read to you out of this book that I fell in love with a couple years ago called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it's about a boy, a mole, a fox, and a horse. These characters are talking, and along their, their journey, the weariness that they have says, sometimes I feel lost, said the boy. Me too, said the mole. But we love you, and love brings you home. We love you, and love brings you home. Church, we are all over the place today. And maybe you feel lost. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you know exactly where you're at on the journey today, too. Regardless of where you're at, I do believe it is love that brings us home. It is love that creates the belonging, the seeing, 
the hope that we have all longed for. As you take the bread and the juice today, reminding you of Jesus' death and resurrection, would you remember how deeply loved you are? And would you ask Jesus what it looks like to do even more with that love that you've been given? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you just knowing how good you are. We believe. Would you help our unbelief? Would you keep shaping us and reminding us who you've made us to be? Jesus, I ask today that we could just see ourselves as kids before you, being given such an incredible gift of love. Would we hold on tight to that in the midst of all that happens in us and around us and on us? Would we believe and remember that nothing could shake us from your love that you want to do incredible things with us in your love in this community. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.